Welcome to the Ladies Who Launch. Join Alyssa and Dakota every other Wednesday as we launch conversations about the chaos that is life. Tune in every other Wednesday and don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. everybody to this week's episode of Ladies Who Launch. It's Alyssa flying solo this week, but we have a great guest. So I'm going to introduce Salima Stanley Bonji, who is the CEO of Humanology, which is an organization that uses art and film to spread empathy, increase inclusion, and reduce discrimination. Salima is also a lawyer and filmmaker who has spent over a decade in management roles in the nonprofit sector. She grew up in Australia and has lived in India, New Zealand, and now in Canada. She's a member of the Alberta Hate Crimes Committee and mentor for She Needs, which supports the success of women of color. Now, that is quite the resume, and I'm actually quite honored to have Salima here with me today because that's, she's amazing, and I've had the pleasure to speak with her a bit before this interview, and uh, she's already inspired me, and I hope that uh, she inspires all of us today. So welcome, Salima, to Ladies Who Launch. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. It's a very generous introduction. Uh, well, you have done an amazing thing. So tell me, first of all, a little bit about Humanology and being the CEO of this organization and, and, and all the great things it, uh, it does. Yeah, so Humanology is really a unique organization in that um, you know we uh, use primarily storytelling as a way to try and erode the the kind of barriers um, that exist between us in terms of understanding each other and um, reducing discrimination. And so we've created almost 30 short films uh, over the past five years, and many of those have um, received awards and selections at film festivals internationally. And we also set up a gallery and store, which is a social enterprise in downtown Calgary, where we share a lot of those films And we also sell uh, retail that's ethical, sustainable, or gives back to the community as a way of um, helping us to sustain ourselves as a not-for-profit organization. So, yeah, we're, um, I think we're sort of like um, a very creative organization in the different ways that we've found to do our work and also just bridging this kind of social justice type of landscape with the arts and using the arts as a way to really speak to people and impact people and change um, attitudes and behaviors. That's really interesting. Um, so people can actually go to your location and see the movies and, and your your work, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So a lot of our films are available on our website, humanology.com. Um, but you can come into our store and we have like eight tablets and headsets where people can um, watch and experience a bunch of our films. And we have actually a few of our films, you have the opportunity to step into the actual worn shoes of the person in the film. So what that means is you put on the headset, um, you can, if you're not a germaphobe like me, uh, step into someone else's actual shoes that they've worn and and then you listen to their story, watch their story on film. And it's just intended to create this more visceral, more tangible connection between the person watching and the person um, telling their story. So um, 
Yeah. So it's, uh, we've also got a bunch of other visual exhibits, uh, touching on lots of different themes from like mental health stigma, uh, to the labels that we apply to others and ourselves, um, to the journeys of people that we might see as being quite different to ourselves, like, um, people who came to Canada as refugees or transgender Calgarians, et cetera. So it's really just, yeah, about breaking down some of those divides and some of those really sort of, I like to see them or like to kind of refer to them as artificial constructs between us. Um, that sometimes when we get to know someone a little better, when we get to know their story, when we recognize that, oh, actually, you know, we have this and this in common, it just begins to basically dissolve um, some of those, yeah, artificial constructs that we have that keep us from um, or prevent us from really seeing each other um, for what we are, which is just like human. Wow, that's amazing. And as a Calgarian, I'm, 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 I'm sad to admit I hadn't heard of your organization. So uh, I'm glad that you've been able to come on and tell us about it because I think it's, it's, it resonates with a lot of people in terms of connecting the art Connecting art with the social justice, I think that's really interesting and something that um, most people should go down and check out. Like I highly, well, your website's great. So I highly recommend people check out your website. It gives a really great introduction into what it is that you do, but I love that connection of art and, um, and social justice. But as we're talking, um, before we came online, we we're discussing just basically how each one of us were doing, um, getting through uh, COVID and quarantine and all those sorts of things. So I think uh, in sort of starting the conversation here, I kind of want to talk a little bit about um, how people, especially maybe people of um, immigrants or people of um, a lower social status are dealing with something like this through a crisis. I mean, obviously, um, we're able to like work from our nice homes and all those sorts of things through this process. But I think what has come very, become very clear through um, being quarantined and sort of the, the, the process of how we've all been locked down is the privileged versus non-privileged has become very apparent in how um, we've been able to manage um, our current situation. So obviously a lot of us who are in this position, it hasn't affected us, too greatly in terms of our daily lives because we're able to work from home, we're able to still go get groceries, all those sorts of things. But for those um, who are of lower income and more of a segregated part of society, this is very difficult to be in this situation that we don't really talk about their struggles through this process. Do you have any insights from the people you work with um, as to how they're doing through this process? Yeah, I think that um, you're right. There's so many people in the world, you know, not just in our community in Calgary or in Canada, but internationally, uh, who are living without the luxury of a cushion, right? Like living day to day, um, you know, the income that they generate in a particular day pays for their food um, for the next day. And, and so, you know, when we shut down commerce and activities, um, you know, we're essentially, um, you know, for some people in certain places in the world, that's like, a, you know, equivalent to a death sentence and a much more immediate and um, I would say um, like, like fatal death sentence than coronavirus itself, you know, which, um, which although, you know, there's been a lot of deaths and, um, you know, a lot of um, fatalities connected to coronavirus, 
um, you know, the deaths that, you know, we experience worldwide with things like starvation and malaria and HIV in impoverished communities far outweigh, um, you know, what we're experiencing. So I think keeping in context is really important um, and recognizing that, you know, before coronavirus, there were a whole bunch of things that people in international communities have been experiencing day to day, um, you know, where, um, you know, malaria is a big one where the death toll is actually most prevalent for children. And, um, you know, the majority of cases with malaria affect kids under five and the death rates internationally for malaria, again, higher than COVID, you know, and we haven't really been paying attention to it as a global community. So, um, you know, I'm not, trying to um, make this whole pandemic seem insignificant. Absolutely, it's not. Um, but, you know, we are very privileged, um, you know, uh, uh, to be able to maintain a healthy standard of living day to day. Um, and, 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 and that's partly why it becomes so challenging for us to face this situation with coronavirus where so many parts of our lives are impacted. And I think one of the other challenges is that for many different people, um, the experience of coronavirus is really varied, right? And um, and while for some it's meant losing jobs and struggling, while for some it's isolation and disconnection, for some there's um, you know meaningful and significant impacts on health and mobility. Um, you know, all of those things that we're facing are very different, and so it can be difficult to meaningfully relate to each other to be able to support each other and to be able to get each other, like understand each other um, during this time of crisis. And those things sometimes can come in the way of relationships and create disconnection during a time where connection and support is ultimately so important. So, um, yeah, so I just think, you know, seeing the big picture, keeping in context, recognizing our privilege, and also recognizing that right now in this stressful environment, you know, um, it can be easy uh, to burn bridges <laughs> and find reasons to further separate ourselves from each other. And we really need to, I think, try and fortify our relationships and continue to maintain connection and closeness in order to move through this um, in a way that's like more supportive for everyone in our, in our communities, uh, in our families, you know, individually. Yeah, that's really interesting. I totally agree. And in relation to your work, obviously you are a um, your work is a lot in in empathy and inclusion and those sorts of things. And I think through this process, um, it's been a wake up call for a lot of us to to empathize with those that aren't as privileged or in in as good a situation as we are. So, give us some ideas or some recommendations on how people can be more empathetic through this crisis with um, either with their own families or with people outside or, or just trying to see the whole picture instead mm -hmm. of worrying about ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and you know, one of the things that's commonly misunderstood about empathy is that it is a skill and it is learnable. So for a lot of people who may have a sense that they're not very in touch with their emotions, perhaps I'm not very good at empathy, they might feel like, well, this is just something I'm not good at, period. And that's that. Um, but actually, you know, just like um, any other skill, 
we can develop empathy skills. And to me, it's almost like, you know, throwing a ball at something that we learn quite young. And with empathy, um, most humans learn um, some amount of empathy uh, quite young. And then the more we repeat that skill and the more we have modeling around that skill, we see other people, uh, you know, acting with empathy, the more it's reinforced. Um, You know, having said that, Um, At a later stage in life as adults, we can cultivate our ability to be empathetic. Um, And, you know, at the same time, even for people who might identify as being quite empathetic, in certain situations, acting with empathy can be quite challenging, like in the face of conflict. And I would say particularly conflict um, within our families and with our loved ones and our intimate partners, like those can be some of the most challenging spaces to act with empathy. And, and I think sometimes that's actually the best kind of ground to practice empathy, you know, um, in those close relationships where we can fail and get it wrong and we have multiple chances to make it right. And, um, we're also often faced with certain things that trigger us, um, that kind of go deep and that force us to really kind of look inwards because empathy isn't just about, stepping outside of yourself and considering someone else and showing up in support um, or trying to like um, put yourself in their position and respond to that appropriately. But it's also about stepping back into yourself um, and in that way, um, being in touch um, with things within you that might prevent you from showing up for someone else, uh, things within you that might cause you to be reactive and not to completely listen to another person or be able to um, step into their shoes and imagine what something might be like for them. Um, So, yeah, so, uh, you know, I think that in terms of trying to get better at empathy, um, you know, a big part of it is just recognizing empathy is never a perfect sort of exercise. We're always guessing and approximating Um, you know, what someone else is experiencing and going through and uh, making certain assumptions in order to respond to that appropriately. So I think just also, you know, letting ourselves know that we can clumsily, messily navigate around um, empathy and ask for feedback, ask for help, like, oh, gee, did I, you know, say something wrong here? Could I have actually responded better for you? What would be helpful for you right now? How can I show up in support? And so bringing that kind of humility into our relationships where we're willing to receive feedback, willing to get better at it, and willing to recognize that even sometimes, you know, when we show up willingly, open for feedback and do our best, we might still fall short of, um, you know, really understanding someone else or really being able to support them because human relationships are complicated. Um, But just making the effort to try can go such a long way. And that's one thing that I think is so important is just making the attempt, um, trying to understand, trying to become more aware, trying to bridge that gap between you and the other. And, And that goes not just for our personal relationships, but for our understanding and connection to the world at large and and all of the things going on in the world, it can be so difficult to make sense of everything and to understand what's right. And, um, and even just to have the capacity to empathize with someone on the other side of the world and to take action. So recognizing all these things are difficult and sometimes just the simple act of trying, um, 
you know, is, um, is goes so far, you know? Um, so yeah. And I think for everyone, you know, the ways that we exist in the world, the ways that we're going to show we care, the ways that we're going to attempt to understand others and connect with others, they're all going to be really unique person to person. There's no one right way to do this. Um, and, and so I think that just embracing our own uniqueness, embracing, you know, the fact that we're going to put our foot in it sometimes and just being willing to go there. Yeah. Really interesting. You, you mentioned that it's a skill and I find that really interesting. Um, because I don't think people would have thought that people immediately sort of go to, you're either an empathetic person or you're not. So Knowing that it's a skill, and you sort of referenced this a little bit in, in, in your answer previous, but how do you develop that skill? So if you feel that you aren't empathetic or you're seeing that in yourself, that you just, you see things on the news and you're just, you, you, you have a hard time connecting to any of that. How do you develop that skill? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. And I, I think that for a lot of us associate empathy with emotions and feel like empathy is just about emotions. So if I'm not connected to my emotions, um, or if I'm not a particularly emotional person, then, um, that means I'm not going to be very skilled at empathy, but actually empathy is, um, not just an effective or emotional process, but it's also cognitive, which means it's a thought-based exercise as well. And the types of thoughts, questioning, and dialogue associated with um, acting with empathy are things that definitely can be practiced, cultivated, um, and and learned. And so just like, for example, um, say in a situation relating to coronavirus where someone's been laid off, a friend of yours has been laid off from their job, um, and they're dealing with financial stress and you're having an interaction or a conversation around that while having that conversation, there may be a dialogue that's happening in your head where you're asking yourself, Oh, have I gone through something similar? Like, was I laid off before? Oh, yeah, I was. What was that like for me? Um, and then how is their circumstance or their experience different from mine? How can I distinguish it? And how is that difference relevant? And what may that mean in terms of how I need to communicate with them in this situation? Um, can I recall what was helpful in terms of how people showed up in support of me during that time? What people said or didn't say um, you know, sometimes it, it can be surprising, but when people face challenges like being laid off or having a miscarriage or um, a divorce, you know, there's so many different ways that we can show up and say the wrong thing that, that ends up landing in a way that's completely unsupportive and unempathetic without even intending it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, even just recalling those things from your own experience and drawing from that experience to bring yourself into the moment to act in the most empathetic way that you can um, for that other person, that's a very intellectual um, process. There's nothing emotional about it except for the fact that you're bothered to try and go there, you know, and you care. Um, so, So that's one way that we can get better at empathy is simply by allowing ourselves to engage in that process of questioning and inner dialogue. And that process happens simultaneously while we're interacting with someone, but it can also happen outside of the interaction and allow us to reflect 
on the interaction and reflect and be able to show up in future um, with that person in a better way, right? Or um, in a more helpful way, I should say. Um, so that's one way that the empathy skill can be honed. But in terms of that emotional aspect of empathy, you know, there is an ability to grow in that way as well. And sometimes it involves doing a little bit of our own self-work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might mean starting to become a little bit more connected with our own emotions. Um, so often, I think our tendency is to flee from our emotions, to avoid um, the expression of emotion and um, to, you know, just kind of contain it or repress it. And so getting a little more familiar with our emotional landscape, having the ability to confront and to um, maybe sit with, maybe even start to accept and embrace some of our own emotions um, can allow us to start to become a little more spacious and open when we sit with others experiencing some of those things. And so, you know, that's something too, that in the face of an emotion arising, if we have the opportunity, um, you know, we can just take some space and try to feel that out. Um, Most of the time we are busying ourselves to avoid it or we're going into our mind to justify why the emotion is there and to explain and rationalize it. Um, And there is an opportunity um, just to sit with it, just to feel it, just to let it move through us. And by doing that, I think we can come into a space where we're just better able to navigate our own and other people's emotional responses rather than to flee from our own, which causes us to flee from other people's experiences too. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. Do you find in this new environment of digital, the digital world with our phones and iPads and all those sorts of things, do you find this generation, whether it's, I guess, millennials to Gen Z might be the best to sort of um, use its examples do you find the, the generations becoming less empathetic because there's kind of a, a wall that we all have now with this digital life that nothing seems real? Well, research has shown that empathy is on the decline. These are studies, however, that have limited sub, sample subjects um, sample, that have been studied. Um, you know, I think that it's quite difficult perhaps to compare one time to another time and definitively decide, you know, what the trends are. I think that there are both advantages and disadvantages with respect to our technological landscape. Um, One thing is that, you know, it does help in some ways to keep us more connected with each other. Um, You know, right now we're definitely experiencing the benefit of technology, right? Um, You know, video chat technology, for example, um, but because of the way that it infiltrates our life and begs for a quick response, I think it's also reduced our attention spans and our ability to be able to truly be present with each other. And that can severely compromise the way that we show up and, um, you know, support one another. You know, I mean, sometimes just having a really important conversation where someone's got their phone on the table you know, Um, and it vibrates or whatever, 
you know, even that sometimes um, can really just sort of make us feel like it's not a safe space to share something really vulnerable, right? So I, I think that, um, you know, there's definitely these sort of competing types of influences as a result of technology. Um, but, you know, as, as to whether we're becoming more or less empathetic, you know, I think that we're at a stage in our human evolution where we've got access to more information than ever before. And a lot of that information is helping people evolve into um, places and spaces that we might not have been um, able to go in the past. And so, you know, I like to be optimistic <laughs> and see the potential for really the evolution of our consciousness and our ability to become you know, more um, sensitive to each other and more sensitive to different kinds of people from different lived experiences, which we're being exposed to more and more as well through technology yeah. and through being able to see how people live um, in different places in the world. I mean, even Netflix is an amazing example of just so much international content that's now available to people worldwide, you know, um, so I, I, I feel hopeful, <laughs> um, for the future of empathy, but I certainly recognize that there's a lot of stress that we're under, um, because of the pressure that technology places on us, um, to be constantly engaging and constantly responding and sometimes not completely in the present with who we're with. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way, but I do love that, that you said you're hopeful because sometimes I, I, I'm not, and I, and <laughs> coming from you, I appreciate hearing that you are hopeful because, um, I, I think we are just bombarded with information on a kid so readily and it just comes at us so hard that I think we do become a little desensitized to, to what's going on around us. And sometimes it seems so, um, distant like close but distant like I don't know if that makes any <laughs> sense but um that I just wonder sometimes if we if we're just too 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 much consuming of this information that it all just kind of becomes like a movie for a better use of a term like obviously you're using art and film to connect those things but sometimes I think we the what we see every day sort of disconnects it it's an interesting mm -hmm. dichotomy mm -hmm. for yeah. in the world you mean like we're overwhelmed with yeah. information that we sort of become desensitized almost. Yeah. And I definitely think that that's a reality as well, right? We only have, each of us only has a finite capacity yeah. um, to process things, um, to respond to things and, and, and really to be able to care about things. Right. So, um, yeah, so that's really very real. And, um, you know, I think sometimes just like taking really small steps, like I have a two year old, and I've been wondering, like, you know, how do I connect her with this idea that there are people out there in the world just like her who are not as lucky as she is, mm -hmm. don't have the privileges and opportunities that she has. And so, um, you know, one of the things I've done recently is I've just um, sort of connected with this website. It's called watsi.org. And it, there's all these little kids on that website in different places in the world that need surgeries. And okay. um, it's basically like a, a crowdfunding platform where people can donate for that specific surgery for that specific child. Or there's also adults on it too. But for her purposes, I'm choosing kids that are around her age that she can see, oh, this is 
a kid like me and she is sick and her family doesn't have enough money for her to get better. So, um, you know, so sometimes just choosing single things, taking small steps can be incredibly meaningful. And, um, you know, because yeah, you're right. We, we, uh, so much is coming at us mm. and, um, that level of overwhelm can sometimes cause a paralysis, right. Rather than an invigoration. And so, yeah, creating a little bit of distance or space or having, you know, those times where we don't connect with our devices or what have you just to allow for that little bit of clarity and, and clear seeing can be helpful. Yeah. I think we all, we all need to turn off our phones more often than we we do. Let's be honest. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Yeah. As we kind of, as we come to a a close here on, um, on our time, what are, just leave us with some ideas or some, some actions that um, we can give people on how they can practice empathy in their daily lives. Like what are some easy um, tips or actions that, that, that um, people can do that's, that can help them become more empathetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, a big part of what empathy is, is really like validating each other, you know, allowing ourselves to feel seen. And, um, and so, you know, for me, empathy can be as simple as a moment of eye contact, um, you know, with someone where, um, you know, there's perhaps something indescribable um, that's communicated between two people and just allows each of us to recognize one another. You know, I think that, you know, empathy can also just be like giving someone the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes like if someone cuts you off in traffic, you know, we don't know where they've just come from or where they're going to or what they're dealing with today. And sometimes the reactive response might be to roll down your window and like yell out something, you know, but just taking that moment to reflect on, Oh, I wonder what, you know, has happened for them today because, you know, we've all had days like that, you know, or we might have reasons why we're in a rush or don't see someone or cut someone off. And so really, yeah, just kind of creating a little bit of space for each other um, so that we can just be human because we know that, you know, being human involves being imperfect, being imperfect, you know, having accidents, doing the wrong thing. Um, So yeah, just, yeah, creating space for each other, I suppose to be human. And, and I think that, um, one thing for me, that is something that I think is really, um, doable. Um, although it can be hard, is just listening, listening, you know, and like being present with others. Um, you know, when we are in each other's company or when we're sharing important things with one another, really just listening, because I think sometimes, um, you know, empathy is, less about what you have to say and more about your ability just to receive what someone else has to say. And so if you can just listen and be present, oh, you know, that's such a huge gift that you can give to someone else. And, um, and that's a skill that I think, you know, most of us should be able to pull off most of the time. Um, So, um, you know, and, and, you know, empathy is not just about what we extend to each other, but it's about what we extend to ourselves. You know, I often call that self empathy, right? So, so, you know, a big part of this is just like extending that empathy towards ourselves and, you know, in terms of our expectations of ourselves, um, you know, cause sometimes we're our own biggest critics, you know, um, 
And, um, and when we create that landscape of judgment within ourselves, then so often that's what we also convey into the world um, and use as our lens of relating to other people. So, you know, really like cultivating that inside where we're empathetic towards ourselves and then that we can share that empathy with other people in a more natural and a less forced way. Um, because I think, you know, that's the best way to be empathetic is when it just happens, right? Like that's the easiest way. Um, but recognizing that sometimes, you know, you've got to make the effort and, um, and, and that's okay too, right? That's okay too. So. Wow. That's, that's perfect. It's, I, I, I've learned so much today and I'm sure, um, I hope other people have as well. Cause, um, I, I, I think of myself as an empathetic person generally, um, probably more so than, than a lot of other of my, um, uh, skills. But, um, I think I've learned a lot today in terms of, um, just listening and, and putting myself, um, and, and putting myself in somebody else's situation and not getting upset about the guy who cuts me off because we're all of our own story. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. And, but having said that there are times, right. Where we're just, yeah. we're going to react and, you know, and that's just, it is what it is. And we're, you know, we're never going to be like, um, you know, empathetic to everyone in every situation because we just don't have that kind of like infinite capacity. So I think also recognizing, right, that sometimes we have to create boundaries and particularly for people who are empaths, right? Mm -hmm. um, this whole conversation might actually, um, you know, not be very helpful, right? Because there are some people out there that actually are too empathetic right. and, um, and need to create, you know, healthy, safe boundaries for themselves, in order to exist in the world. So yeah, you know, I, I think just going easy on ourselves and others, and especially right now, um, you know, facing this difficult and stressful time, even if you haven't been severely impacted, you know, I don't even think that we can begin to realize just how um, distancing ourselves from each other and navigating public spaces where we have to keep two meters from another human, um, you know, just how much energy that takes and how much stress just that on its own places on us, um, forget everything else. So, um, you know, yeah, just like really finding a little bit of, um, cushioning, uh, to give ourselves, um, some, some softness and, um, you know, some gentleness during this challenging time. And hopefully then we're just better able to, you know, extend that to other people around us too. Yeah. So true. Thank you so much, Salima. Um, again, you can find information um, about Salima and what she does at humanology.com. And I'll leave that link in the write-up um, because humanology is spelled a little differently than you'd think. So we'll make sure that <laughs> link is there for everybody so that you can uh, go check out her great work. Amazing. And yeah, I would just also like once we're back in open, I'd like welcome everyone down to come see our gallery and store space. Typically we're open Wednesday through Sunday, 12 to 6. And um, hopefully in the near future, we'll be, um, you know, opening our doors back up and inviting people to come in and um, take a look around. So yeah, we're just located right off 17th Avenue Southwest at 7th Street in the Beltline. So um, yeah, we'd love to have more people come by and folks can follow us on Instagram at spreadempathyyyc. Wow, that's a great Instagram handle. Spread Thanks. That's fantastic. Anyway, thank you very much, Salima. And um, we hope to chat soon. Thanks. 
Thanks for listening to Ladies Who Launch with Dakota and Alyssa. We drop new episodes every other Wednesday, so be sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Thank you.